As I said, uh, we want to recognize the, the attack in France, the latest attack in France, I should say, and, uh, and the, the murders in Baton Rouge. Um, things are bad. Things are, are bad. And uh, I want to reiterate what I said last week, and that is that we decided to do the book of Habakkuk. I, I, I can't remember exactly the timeline, but it wasn't before all of this came out. And, um, but I know of no other book that is so raw and so real and how it deals with questions for God. And uh, no doubt many of you have come in today and, and there's questioning that's going on and, and there's just thoughts of like, where is God in the midst of all of this? Um, and the, our series title is simply Habakkuk. It sounds like a sneeze. It's not. Um, it's the name of a prophet. And the, the only thing we could come up with is, does God even care? Does God care about what we're going through? Does God care about what you're going through? Does God care not just about terrorist attacks and about murders of police officers and... and, and uh, these uh, interactions with police that have gone wrong or men have been killed in the midst of those circumstances. It's not just those, but it's like in your circumstances, in my circumstances, like in, in the midst of the difficulty that's going on in your life. And I, I, I look around this room and, and I know what's going on in some, in some of your lives. I know what you've been through, and it's heartbreaking. It's, it's incredibly heartbreaking. And I just want to say that I feel like I'm preaching a funeral right now, but it's very hard for me to hold together in these, in these times. But, like, if, if you don't have a category for suffering in your faith. If you don't have a category for God being sovereign, even in and through the things that you think and you believe should not happen, and you haven't read the book of Habakkuk, and, and, and you don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ, and your understanding of God is probably light and fluffy, light and inconsequential, rather than being heavy and meaningful. If your understanding of your own sin is, is, is light and inconsequential, thinking that somehow uh, um, God doesn't care about that, and it's fine, and you let yourself off the hook, and you say, uh, you know, that's, it's not that, that big of a deal, then you don't have an understanding of why the Son of God had to go to the cross. I was, and I am, so sinful that, that, that God had to die for me. That's how sinful I am. That's how sinful our world is. And when we don't get that, and we don't understand it, and we, when, when our faith in our theology, in our understanding of God, 
is meaningless and it's and it's filled with moronic sermon titles that 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 promise quick and easy uh, ways to overcome and to be different and and to deal with life when when our faith is filled with those kinds of things we are not going to last through suffering we are not going to last when the day of terror strikes us. And let me just tell you, if things are not getting better, I was listening to a pastor recently, and I really liked what he had to say, but one of the things he said, our best days are ahead of us. And maybe he's talking about the coming of, of Jesus Christ, because that will be a great day, but between now and then, our best days seem very distant, right? Our, our best days don't seem very close. Russia just instituted a law that said that people cannot witness or evangelize outside of their, uh, their church. I heard recently um, from secondhand, um, and, I, and through some articles, I think, that most churches do not own their own building in Russia, and so therefore uh, they, will, they will be um, arrested because they're not in a building while they're evangelizing. So those people who are Christians and who believe that it is right for me to do what God wants me to do over and above what the government of that place would have me do, those people are going to be arrested. In Iowa, in our country, and, and it's more than just Iowa, but Iowa specifically has a law that, that they're trying to put into effect that says that churches must allow uh, people with uh, transgender uh, disorders to use the restroom. So dudes can go in the, uh, in the women's restroom and, and women can go in the dude's restroom. And just simply as a man, like, uh, and as, as a pastor of, of our church, uh, I just, I won't allow that. I won't allow that. Because I believe that God has created the male and female. And I realize that people go through gender confusion and they don't understand. I feel this way, but I, but I am this and I'm, and I'm confused by that. And we've got to have a heart for that. But that doesn't change what we believe. And so therefore, what's going to happen is that there are rough days ahead of us. And there's going to be more murders. These aren't the last ones. And, there, and there's going to be more shootings, and there's going to be more of all of these things. And so the question is, is, is like, do you have a theology? Do you have an understanding of God that says that God really, really is in control? God really is caring, and he has a plan that's over and above what you could possibly imagine. And so really our, our headline verse this morning is, uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Let me set it up real quick. Habakkuk is, 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 a, is a prophet. And he's looking at Judah, which is uh, the southern kingdom of, of Israel. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. It's believed that the northern kingdom is... is uh, has been taken into exile, and here you have the southern kingdom, and uh, they're, they're very small. And what's been happening in the southern kingdom is this, is that they, they had a series of bad kings, just bad king, bad king, bad king, bad king. 
And if you, if you read through the Old Testament, what you'll see is that this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and this king did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And then you get to this king, Josiah. And Josiah, at eight years old, comes into the throne, and Josiah has this heart transformation because of something that took place, and that is that he finds God's word. He finds what we believe to be the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. And he reads God's laws, and he sees that th this conviction that comes over him that says, we are doing what is wrong. We are doing what is wrong. Our country, our nation has been sinning over and over again, and we've been seeking after other gods. We've been building these, these temples and these altars on the high places, and we've been worshiping other gods. And so Josiah has this heart transformation, and he takes all of these things down. He knocks them down, these altars and everything that they were using, their idols. He pounds them into dust, and then he throws the dust over the graves of these false prophets and these priests that were leading the nation of Israel into this. And he, he declares that things are going to be different, and things were different. And the nation of Israel begins to, to turn and, and to change, and there's some incredible reforms that take place. And as a result, uh, what it says in, in 2 Kings Second Kings chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidiah, the daughter of Adiah and Bozkath. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left, 2 Kings 23, verse 25 through 27 says, Before him there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Still the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath by which his anger was kindled against Judah, that's the southern kingdom, because of all the provocations with which uh, Manasseh, had provoked him. And the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight as I have removed Israel. I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I said my name shall be there. And so here's what's going on is that Habakkuk is, is just after Josiah, it looks like. So here's Josiah, and then all of a sudden he is, he is killed when he goes to battle. And then his son takes over, and then there's a series of his sons and different people that take over, and they do what's evil in the sight of the Lord, and they reverse everything that Josiah had put into place. After Josiah had sought God and had changed things, and, and, and then they just totally blow it for him. And they lead them back into idolatry, these bad kings. And what takes place is that there is horrific, there are horrific things going on in Judah. And so I, I really want to start from the beginning here again in Habakkuk because I want to give the sense of what Habakkuk is feeling. And he says, uh, it says, the oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw. I said last week, this is a burden. The word oracle there can mean burden. And Habakkuk has a burden for his people. 
and his heart is rent in two, and he is just, he is aching for his people. Like, do we ache for what's going on in our nation, what's going on in our world? He has a burden for what's going on. Do we just turn the TV off? I mean, normally it'd be good to turn the TV off, or do we put it out of our mind and say, that's them? Do we stop thinking about what people of color in our um, world are going through, in our nation are going through? Or do we, like Habakkuk, begin to say, I have a burden for what's going on here. And so he does what you and I should be doing, and that is that he cries out to God, and he's crying out to God, and he's crying out to God, and he's just saying, and he's praying, and he's praying, and he's praying. And so one day he sits down, and he starts to journal, I think. And he writes this, and he says, Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Like, can you believe that this is in the Bible? Can you believe that the Bible, like, puts this in there and says, here's a guy who is supposed to be, like, he's employed, he is a guy in ministry, he's a prophet, he's a professional, and he has doubts. But here's what's important about Habakkuk, is that even though in the midst of his turmoil in the midst of his doubts, in the midst of everything that's going on in his life, he prays to God. And he comes to him in all honesty with this raw feeling, emotion, and he begins to speak to him and he says, God, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? He's pouring out his heart. He's pouring out his life. He's saying what's going on. He's talking to God about it. Now, you can do one of two things. You can become bitter in the midst of the turmoil in your life. And like I said, when, when I think about the people in this room, I, I, I look at you and, and I believe there is every reason in the book for you like so many other have, others have done in the past, to just walk away, but you haven't. And so you could have gotten bitter and walked away, but you didn't. You were real. You were honest. You were raw about how you felt, and you went to God, and you prayed to him. The unimaginable suffering that's just represented in this room right now is more than any one of us could bear, but this is what Habakkuk does. He prays, and he prays very fervently, and he says to God exactly what he, what he thinks. You will not hear. I'm talking to you, God, and I feel like you're not hearing me. And so there's the sense in which it's like... Uh, are there prayers like that that come out of our mouths? Are there prayers like that that come out of our lives and out of our hearts that say, God, I'm, I'm really aching here. I'm really hurting. And yet I'm not feeling like you're, like you're speaking to me. I've told this story so many times, and it I began to walk with God after going on a mission trip, and God did amazing things in my life as I got out of uh, my familiar surroundings, and I came home, and my life 
fell apart. My, my parents' marriage was going down the drain. Uh, my girlfriend at the time had broken up with me. And I felt like God was against me. And I, I was like, after all that I've done for you, after I go on a mission trip and sacrifice my summer, although it was really a trip through Europe and a very difficult mission trip, unlike the Apostle Paul shipwreck and being whipped and all that stuff. But nonetheless, I go on this mission trip. I come back, and God, this is what you have for me? And I walked away. But God in his goodness brought me back. And what Habakkuk is saying here is he's saying, he's saying, I have been praying for my country and the things that they're, that they're doing, the sin that's going on in God's people. These are God's people. They're supposed to be doing what's right, but we've had these kings that have led us along this path, and there are, there are many horrific things going on. And he says, or cry to you violence, and you will not save God, if you are real, God, if you are, if you exist, then how in the world, why in the world would you allow a man to get in a 20-ton truck and drive down the sidewalk hitting men, women, and children, killing them? God, why would you do that? Why would you not get in front of that truck and change that man's mind? Let's just call it what it is. That's an honest prayer. That's a real prayer. God, why? Why? After I've been a, a great wife or husband, would you allow my spouse to leave me, to cheat on me? God, why? After years of hard work, would you allow all of my savings to go to the wind and my business destroyed? God, why? After all of these things, after everything that I've done for you, would you not allow me to have a child? Or would you, why would you allow my child to die? God, why would you do this? That's a real prayer. Cry to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? The, the word iniquity there could be injustice. Why do you why are you allowing me to look at this? Why do you allow me to even see this stuff? God why are you sitting on your throne if you indeed have a throne? Why do you sit there and just do nothing in the midst of my suffering? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. There's infighting. People are fighting one another. They're killing one another. I said last week, this is for our nation today. Not the exact circumstance, but these words can speak to us right here and right now. So the law is paralyzed. The, 
the, God's law seems completely incapable of restraining evil. God, you're not holding evil back through your law. God, people are committing these horrific acts, and it seems like your law has no effect on them. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. Our African-American brothers and sisters feel like that. They feel like the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. And I got to tell you this, that white people, most of us in this room, have got to figure this out. Why do they feel like justice never goes forth? Because we see it and we go, I don't see a problem. What's, what's wrong? They look at it and they say, that's unjust. This should never happen. It's, there, there are plenty of examples of this. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And what he's talking about, he, here, here we have Judah, God's people. They're supposed to be God's people. There's a faithful few. And what he's saying is he's saying the wicked surround the righteous. We're pressed in on every side, even though we ourselves are not righteous. But what's happening in his day is that the people who are following God's law, who are not murdering, who are uh, honoring him and not committing adultery, they're being pressed in on every side. And today we have this same thing. The idolatry of sex. Do what you feel like doing. There are people who claim to be pastors who are saying... That sexuality matters not. You can have sex before marriage because who really cares about that? It's love, right? You can have sex between uh, same-sex partners because who really, really cares? Because love is love. Do you know who cares? God cares. God cares. And do you know what's happening? The wicked will surround the righteous, and they will call us bigots, and they will say that we are unloving, even though we will say in, in the kindest way possible, I disagree with you, but I love you. I would die for you, but I just disagree. Can't we, can't we just love each other? And the answer is no, you're a bigot. You have hatred in your heart. You're keeping me from fulfilling what I want. The wicked surround the righteous. And justice goes forth perverted. The Supreme Court decisions that are coming out today, whether it's about abortion, same-sex marriage, or whatever, those are supposed to be just, and they are not. Children will continue to be killed in the womb of their mothers because of that decision. It's horrific. And do you know what's going on in Habakkuk's day? Children are being sacrificed on the altar, literally. Child sacrifice is taking place. Do you see the similarities here? Do you see what's going on? The word of God is living and active. It's not just some old story, but this is what's taking place. The decline of a society. The decline of our world. 
the governments that are eroding as we become self-assured. And so he prays this prayer to God, and then God's going to answer. And I want to ask you, what answer are you ready for? What What answer are you ready for? What do you want God to say? Because what I want God to say and what God says are two different things oftentimes. So I just want to be really clear with you. When you say, I didn't sign up for this, God. And God said, you didn't sign up for anything. I called you to myself. It was through my grace and my mercy that I called you to me, if you're truly mine. God answers Habakkuk, and this is what he says. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, if I'm Habakkuk and I hear just that, I'm thinking, oh, here comes God. He's about to kick some tail. Uh-oh, here we go. Oh, no, you did it. He's going to come in and it's going to be awful. And, and, and I'm thinking, man, God, he's going to come in. He, he's going to say, look around you. Look beyond you. But what God says is he says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. Who are the Chaldeans? The Chaldeans are the Babylonians, so those are interchangeable terms. And the Babylonians are a horrific, horrific nation of people. It is absolutely horrific what they do. And guess what? God knows this. God knows this. In fact, they are so horrific. 2 Kings 25 verse 7 says this. They, the Babylonians slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah, the king at that time, before his eyes and put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains and took him to Babylon. That's horrific. Your king, one moment, the next moment, you're deposed as the king. They bring your kids in front of you. And that's the last thing you see. Who else is doing this in our day? ISIS, every day. Every single day, there's another horrific story. Let's let's go back to the prayer. God, why do you idly look at wrong? God comes and says, you would not believe what I'm about to do. You would not believe. I'm raising up a nation that's above or beyond or similar to ISIS. It would be as if today God said, I'm using ISIS to purge my people of their sin. Because for ages now, they have sinned and they have sinned and they have sinned and they have turned from me and they have worshiped idols and they keep going back to them and I'm done. And I'm bringing in ISIS. Now, I, I want to be really careful. We are not Judah or Israel. We're not the new Israel. Okay? Uh, 
This is not specifically about us. It is about what God did in that time, and it applies to today. But I want to tell you, there are some striking similarities here. There are some striking similarities. And so what God says to Habakkuk is this. Your view of things is way too myopic. Your view of what's going on in your life, your view of what's taking place in our world is just incredibly too myopic. My view of that is just, I'm just seeing a small segment and God in all of his holiness, in all of his sovereignty does not see just me. He definitely does see me. He knows every hair in my head. He knows who I am. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He knows me intimately and personally, but he does not just see me. And if your Christianity is simply about you and your relationship with God, just it's just me and Jesus, man. That sounds really spiritual, but it's not. And it's not theologically accurate to even say that because it's not just you and Jesus. It's you that is a part of the body of Christ, the church, that is in the midst of a world filled with sin that God is in full view of. And so he says, look among the nations and see He's telling Habakkuk, I'm going to tell you something about my greater plan and my greater purpose and what I'm doing in the universe. Where is your view? Is it just a segment of time? I used the illustration last week of if you sat through five minutes of of a movie and said this movie stinks, but yet you didn't watch to the end. You can't really make a judgment on the entire movie because you only saw a small small part of it. God is God over all of time, both, both past, present, and future. He sees time concurrently. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what has happened. He's in control of all things. And yet, here I am, little old me, who was knit together in my mother's womb, He gives me breath and life. He's given me all the good things in life that I have. And yet somehow I can stand here as a speck of dust on top of a speck of dust in a speck of dust of a universe that is God's world and somehow say, hey, you shouldn't do that. You should stop that, God. And God says, You don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you're looking at. You think you know, but you don't know what's taking place. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. It is going to be perplexing. Like wonder and just be like, whoa, that just completely blew my mind that God would do this. But it's it's more than just wonder and amazement. It's it's terror. Oh God, you're that big and you're that amazing that you would use something as horrific as ISIS in our world 
you would use the government of Russia in our world? God, you would use that person in my work or in my neighborhood that is just a thorn in my side? God says, yeah, I'm that big. You have no idea what you're dealing with, my son or my daughter. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I'm going to tell you this, but you're not going to believe it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you what took place, but you are not going to believe it. Now, sometimes my wife comes home and says, you are not going to believe who I saw today. And I'm just like, you know, and, and, I, and I'm relatively like, you know, I might believe it. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's possible. But she, she says, oh, that's interesting. I can see how that took place because, you know, whatever. But God says, I'm doing a work in your days. Like, you have no idea what I'm doing behind the scenes and how I, in control I am of all things. Like, do you, do you hear what he's saying? Like, I'm doing a work. I'm still working even though a guy drives a truck down the sidewalk, and even though people kill police officers and justice goes forth perverted, and even though people are killed wrongly by our police sometimes, we don't know what's happened there. I'm doing a work in and through all of those things, even in and through your marriage falling apart and your child dying and your business failing. And the depression that you're going through and the anxiety that you're feeling and the difficulty that's happening in your life. I am there and I am working in the midst in and through that. God, do you hear me? Do you know what's going on? Yes, I hear you and I am at work. I'm so good, in fact, that I can use the worst circumstances for my good, for my glory, and to bring about the purpose that I want. And that's the point of contention with us, isn't it? God, I've prayed to you for what I want. I've prayed to you that I want this, and you don't answer me. And God says, you don't know the purposes that I have. And he says, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. God did not just like institute something and then be like, well, whatever happens, happens. No, God releases the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to do what they've always wanted to do. It says in Romans 1 that God's judgment on us is to allow us to become more sinful, is to give us the very thing that we want. And ultimately what it does to us is it ends up destroying us. And I'm going to show you that in just a minute at the end of this little section here. But God says, I'm releasing them to do what they, what they do against you. I'm not holding them back any longer and protecting you. I'm allowing the world to do what the world is going to do to my people 
because of the sin that's been taking place in their life. God says, I am going to judge this. It's just not going to happen in your timeline. I'm going to judge Judah for what they're doing. And then he's going to say something else here. I'm raising up the Chaldeans. These are horrific people. They march through the breadth of the earth. They seize dwellings not their own. They don't care. They take whatever they want. This is what ISIS is doing right now, creating their caliphate. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. What's, What's their problem? Their problem is that they are a law unto themselves. They make up their own laws. They make up their own desires, and they say, this is what is right, and this is what is wrong. And you know what happens when that takes place? Violence, oppression, all of those things. And do you think for a second that you, that you and I don't do this? I, I just think it's okay to do that. It's love, isn't it? I just think that this is the way that it should be. That's, that's how things should go, right? They, we are a law unto ourselves, and guess what? I'm no different than the Babylonians. Because oftentimes I'm making up my own laws. And I'm saying, you know what? I should be able to do that. But that's what their, their problem is. They're a law unto themselves. Their justice and their dignity go forth from themselves. They judge themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. What is God saying? Listen, this is to not just Habakkuk. It's not just Habakkuk's conversation with God. It's God speaking to Habakkuk so that Habakkuk would tell the people and the people would hear this. And what God is saying to the people, he's saying this. I'm coming to judge through this nation. And guess what? You're not getting away. You cannot get away from what I have coming for you. Their horsemen are are swifter than leopards. They may be coming from a long ways away, but they don't get tired. They are coming for you. Why is this important? God is communicating, my judgment is my judgment. I have made a determination, and what I say stands. And it is awful. It is an awful thing. To fall into the hands of the living God when you have no Savior. It is an awful thing. God's judgment is a horrific thing. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. That's all that they want. They just, they come and they want to kill and they want to steal and they want to take things. At kings, they scoff. And at rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up earth and take it. So the people are thinking to themselves, you know what? We'll go to Egypt and we'll try to, we'll get Egypt to try to help us. But Egypt ain't helping you because they scoff at rulers and kings and they say, oh, well, we'll just build a taller wall. We'll just, we'll just get, this, get this wall up a little taller, 
And God says, no, the Babylonians actually know what dirt is. And they will pile up dirt in front of your big wall. They just build a ramp and they'll launch themselves into your city. You're not getting away. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on. They're going to come in and they're going to leave just as quickly as they came. And they're going to devastate you. And we'll sit here and we'll say, God, why would you do this? Why would you cause this to take place? And God says, hang on a second. Guilty men whose might is their God. God says this. Because he's the God of the universe and he makes the rules, this is what he says. I'm going to come in and I'm going to allow something to take place. And they're going to devastate you and they are going to execute my judgment on you in and through their sin. What's that mean? God is using someone else's sin and God says right there, he says, guilty men. What's he saying? He's saying, they're guilty. They're going to get theirs. Because as serious as I am about my people, my church's sin, I'm also serious about their sin. They are guilty men, and their might is in their own God. And they're going to get theirs. You just wait. But let me just tell you, it's the root problem of the Israelites, of Judah, the southern kingdom. It's the Babylonians' problem, and guess what? It's my problem, and it's your problem. Because every single one of us stands condemned. Why? We've lived in one of the greatest times of prosperity that ever was. Yeah, we had the Great Recession, but the Great Recession in comparison to how people have done, everyone still ate for the most part. Yes, there's, there's people who did not eat. I'm, I'm not denying that. But I'm saying this. Everyone was still eating. Everyone still has cars. We're not being devastated and struck down, but, but in the end, we're doing really well. And we can go to the church that we want to go to, and we can have preferences about that church, and we can say, you know what, I just want one that's got, it just got this. You know, we want great worship, but serving as an act of worship comes secondary. We want a great children's area, but taking part in that and saying, okay, I'm going I'm to help with that can sometimes be another thing, although we have fantastic children's workers, but America, our church and our people and our city has gotten to a place of acceptance, of like, life is pretty good, and we're not really being pressed, and things aren't really taking place. But you know what's happening here? Is that God is refining his people and he's saying, do you really want to be your own God? Do you really want to step away from my law? Do you really want this? And so God comes in and he 
he allows this pressure and this judgment. Why? Because the greatest thing that God can do for you is to allow it to hurt so bad that you finally seek after him. The greatest thing that God could ever do in your life is to cause life to hurt so bad that you seek after him. If you forget that, you're going to struggle, and you're going to struggle, and you're going to struggle because you're not going to understand it. What's going on with Habakkuk here? Life is falling apart. His world is falling apart. Life is unmanageable. And the only thing he can do is just say, Oh, God, where are you? As I watch the news religiously, really. And uh, normally, uh, like NBC, just because I've gotten used to it. And I, I just, I notice things that take place. And on days when things are particularly painful for our country, the news anchor at the time, and this time it's, it's Lester Holt, he'll, he'll stop and he'll say something at the end. They, they, it's almost like they're trying to soothe a nation. Newscasters over the years have been like the voice of a nation. And in some ways, I don't know if they're trying to take that place, but he stops and he says something. And I can't remember what he said, but I listened to what he said after this attack in Nice. And he was talking about how this is the new normal and whatever. And I was just... I was sitting there listening, and I was just going, there's no hope in what he said. He was trying to, to, to just say the obvious, like, this is the new normal. People being killed on a sidewalk for no reason. People being in a nightclub being killed for no reason. This is just the new normal. And there is no hope in those words. The only hope that we have is this, is that God is ultimately and finally in control. And he will use the despicable nation of Babylon to judge the despicable nation of Judah. And he will use whatever means he desires to use to purify us for his good and for his glory in the end. I'll end with this. If you don't believe me, do you know what the gospel is? The gospel is the most horrific event that ever took place. While your mind is running while I'm talking, it, I didn't really write a sermon today. I'll just say that. I wrote down a bunch of thoughts, and I, you might have noticed I didn't look at anything, and that was because I didn't know what I was going to say because I was like, the only thing that was going through my mind was, but they're going to keep coming back to me, and they're going to keep saying, but why would God do this? But how could he let this happen? And you know what? God allowed this to happen so that in the end, the Son of God would come and he would die and it would be the most horrific thing that ever took place because the Son of God who had never done anything wrong, who was sinless, and he went to a cross and he was brutalized and he was beaten and you know what God says? God says this, that he did that for you. He took your place. 
so that you would not have to experience the judgment that Judah went through with Babylon. He took your place so that you would not have to experience that on the cross. The only comfort that we have is that Jesus went to the cross for us and that God is in control even of that event. Let's pray. Lord, I'm praying that your words stood out today and that my words were not uh, nonsense but were of you. And Lord, I'm, I'm praying though that whatever was from you would, would be laid on our hearts today. Whatever is not would just fall by the wayside and be forgotten. Lord God, we stand in awe of your incredible uh, wrath, your incredible judgment the awful nature of the, the things that took place perpetrated by Judah and by Babylon and, and Lord, the terrifying things that you allowed to take place. But Lord, we take comfort and we take solace in the fact that you will judge and you have judged Babylon for their sin as guilty men who are their own God. Lord, we may, may we not be men and women who become our own gods, Lord, may we not serve idols, lifeless idols that are really no gods at all. Lord, may we not serve sex or money or power or prestige or education or sexual identity. Lord, may we be people who stand for what is right, that we're pressed on all sides persecuted, may we know that we are not abandoned, that you are with us, that you went through pain and that you suffered for us in our place and for our sins. God, may we understand that you're coming again and you are coming soon and that this is not the end. This is not the final word. This is not the new normal. You will reign forever. And you will control all things. And you are in control of all things. And we have hope. And we are not hopeless. Because you are God and you are sovereign. May we rest in that today. Lord, may we rest in spite of how difficult it is in your sovereignty. It's in your name we pray. Amen.